You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. We've got a good crew of people congregating in the foyer, so we're going to give a, a minute or two for people to say hello. You know, we start on Central Time, which is 15 after the hour uh, thereabouts, but uh, we'll get back more specifically to that. I think we'll be just a couple minutes later today. Um, yeah. Oh, good. I see some people starting to come in now. Look for the good in everyone. Everyone needs sunshine. Everyone needs rain. Everyone is carrying around some kind of pain. I see who you are. Just like me. Hello, 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 hello. See, you're for a We're gonna go ahead and get started. Got a couple, got a couple thumbs up from the foyer. <laughs> yeah, Abe's Abe's rounded him up. <laughs> That's magnificent work, Abe. <laughs> He's got the whole arm motions. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm not gonna do that. Too late. <laughs> good morning, everyone. It's good to see your faces, not uh, digitally for those of you here in the room. And I'm assuming it's good for Bob to see your faces who are digital up there on the computer screen, though, though I can't see him uh, currently. But uh, thanks for joining us in this sort of hybrid service. Uh, we did a few of these um, back in December for the Advent season. Um, and then we took another uh, break, courtesy of Omicron. And uh, we are we are excited to be able to be back in person again. Thank you all um, for the safety measures that you have taken and continue to make to to, uh, to make this possible. Um, we're we're so glad to see um, all of you. Some some new folks, some not new folks, and everyone in between. Um, well, as we start, um, would you just join with me um, in a centering uh, prayer? Um, you know, <laughs> you look around, we're all wearing masks. We have the visible representation um, everywhere we go now of things not being how they feel like they should be. Um, and I 
there's a lot to say there, but um, just that, the new reality in which we find ourselves in, the stories um, that we read every second from across the globe, um, the, the war that is currently ravaging not only Ukraine, but um, countries across the world, right? Syria, um, Afghanistan still, um, war ravages on each day. And yet we meet, we meet here and we laugh and we uh, enjoy each other's company and we should. Um, and, and I think I, we just want to take a moment to name that and to pause and to center ourselves and to find ourselves here um, and lift prayers um, for those um, who join here today and those who aren't uh, here and those across the world who um, need prayer. Um, so would you join me as we start today's service? God, in the scriptures, we read um, that you are a God that will make all things new, that in that our weapons will be turned into plowshares, that brother will not pick up sword against brother, um, that siblings, that neighbors um, will no longer fight. God, we, we name that while also recognizing that that is not the world that we occupy now. God, as we gather this morning, uh, we lift up um, the lives that continue to be ravaged, destroyed across this world. God, for the, the countless names that we don't even know, um, that at this very moment, are fighting to survive, are losing their homes, their families. God, may we be a people that welcome refugees with open arms, whether they are from Europe or not, God, whether they share our appearance or not. May you remind us our call, God, to bring peace into places of violence, to bring justice into places of injustice, to bring grace into places of oppression. God, we long for a world that does not yet exist, yet a world um, that we see glimmers of. So may we hold on to those glimmers, may we hold on to the hope, the fledgling hope that rises in us when we remember, God, a world that could be but is not. Let us lift each other up to not despair, to not give up, but to push even harder, God. To see love and justice realized here in our own families, in our own workplaces, in our own schools, in our own cities, in ourselves. So God, we give thanks for the relative safety um, that we have. We give thanks for the privilege that allows us to gather in this building free of fear. We give thanks to the people who shoulder each other's burdens, God, as a community. And we ask that we would do the same for all those who need it. 
Amen. Well, this morning, as, as you know, is our first uh, in-person service back in a while. So uh, thanks for being here. Um, there's probably going to be some glitches and, and uh, bumps along the way. We've already had a healthy dose this morning. Um, but we appreciate you being here. We appreciate being together again. Um, so uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, just feel free to take this time as what you need it to be, uh, whether that be meditative, um, prayer-filled, worshipful, whatever adjective you want to assign it. Um, this is a time for us to center, to gather together. Turn it down till the ember smoke on the ground. Start new when your heart is an empty room with the walls of the deepest blue. Home's face, how it ages when you're away. Spring blooms, and you find a love that's true, but you don't know what now to do. Chase is all you know. She stopped running months ago. And all you see is where else you could be when you're at home. And out on the street, so many possibilities to not be alone oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. flames and smoke climbed out everything that you held dear and you shed not a single tear to the things that you didn't need cause you knew you were finally free and all you see is where else you could be when you're Out on the street, so many possibilities to not be alone. And all you see is where else you could be when you're at home. And out on
Straight from this soil to my bones, my bones red with it. I will not raise forgotten flags, but I will step to the hill with your name in my cap. You still, you still.
Get up, I'll sing you the light Let every breath in you defy Whatever is pulling you to God's own kingdom And here's sticking fingers in our ears They said we'd have a couple years Dead on paper, but hey, we're still here. Flat, wicked bumps with killer stairs. I am not fighting you for air. Don't call me dead, cause hey, I'm still here. Fight, like every breath in you. From some great fighter in the sky Won't be the fun and leave tonight Dance Atop the grave that has your name For what it's worth I'll do the same Good morning, it's good to see you all. Um, as we're meeting here at the beginning of Lent, it's not lost on me that we're also seeing the kind of conflict around the world, particularly in Ukraine, um, which is just such a juxtaposition from the kind of kingdom that we talk about being here. Um, so as we celebrate this Lenten season, as we prepare for the time when we come together and recognize that God moves radically different in this world than the powers of this world expect, um, when we think about what it means to uh, follow a man who upended the expectations of power and authority, um, I wanted us to take some time, of course, in solidarity with Ukraine. It's hard to know what we can do on our own as individual people on the other side of the world, but we do get to be a part of a large vocal movement. Um, so this piece of liturgy that I'm gonna share with you this morning is a prayer that was actually put together by the um, Catholic Church in Ukraine. Um, for people around the world to join together in prayer. Um, so as that, uh, it certainly holds some theology that's a little different than what we talk about or how we believe here. But knowing that these words are being shared as we start Lent with people of faith around the world in prayer on behalf of Ukraine, um, I, I couldn't uh, not have us be a part of that. So um, let's join together, and as you hear these words, um, this prayer, our prayer, joins together with people around the world with a hope for change. 
This is a prayer for deliverance of Ukraine in the time of invasion. O Lord God of powers and God of our salvation, O God who alone works wonders, look down with mercy and compassion on your humble servants and out of love for all humankind, hearkened and have mercy on us in this land of Ukraine. For behold, enemies have once more gathered together in order to cause division and enmity. But you who know all things understand that they have risen up unrighteously and that it will be impossible to oppose their multitudes unless you show us your help. Therefore, we who are sinful and unworthy of prayer unto you in repentance and with tears, help us. God, our Savior, and deliver the land of Ukraine for the sake of the glory of your name, that the enemy may not say their God has forsaken them and there is nothing to deliver and save them. But let every nation understand that you are our God and we are your people, always protected under your dominion. Reveal your mercy, O Lord, and let the words spoken by Moses unto the people of Israel be applied to us. Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for the Lord shall fight for us. Work for us a sign of good. They who are filled with hatred may see our orthodox faith and be humbled and shaken. Yes, O Lord God, our Savior, our strength and hope and help. Remember not the transgressions and unrighteousness of your people and turn not away from us in your anger, but visit your mercies and compassion upon your humble servants, those who fight in defense of Ukraine and her much suffering people, outnumbered though they may be, and hear us who fall down before your deep compassion. With your mercy, enlighten and make glad the hearts of the civil authorities and strengthen them by your might." Rise up to their help and lay low the evil counsels purposed against them by the enemy. Judge them that provoke and make war and turn their impious boldness into fear and flight. But grant unto the just and God-fearing armies of the children of Ukraine great boldness and courage. And unto them that you have judged, lay down their lives and faith for their country. Forgive them their trespasses and the day of righteousness, reckoning, grant them into the incorruptible crowns. For you are the health and victory and salvation of them that put their hope in you. And unto you we send up glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit now and forever and unto the ages. God, our prayer this morning, joining together with the people of Ukraine is that their voices may be heard, that they would see the deliverance that they seek, that you would raise up powerful voices, powerful allies, that we would remember that every life lost is a tragedy to you. Bring the people of Ukraine peace, hope. Allow us to be voices seeking justice, mercy, compassion 
open us, those of us in places that aren't under the same turmoil, to seek refugees, to welcome strangers, to create places of hope and healing. Amen. I'm going to invite Angie to come forward and share with us some things happening here at Central. Really excited that we're meeting here in person and that we get to be together and have some things happening in person. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Okay, only a couple announcements. It's so nice to see all your beautiful mass faces in person. Um, so March 25th at 8.30 p.m., we have Holy Happy Hour. It's going to be at Anais in Pasadena. And then our other announcement is that we will be having Ascensia again on the 31st. It's unclear if it's in person or not, but if you are interested, just follow up with Max. He can get you the details. All right, that's it. All right, so prayers of the people. Uh, now is the time that you're invited forward and share what's going on in your life. If um, there's something you want prayed about or something you want to give thanks for, or just kind of notify your church family about now is the time you can come on down and share that. Or if you are joining us virtually, um, which my understanding is some of you are, yeah, um, you can unmute your Zoom channel and raise your voice that way. And theoretically, in the past, this is work. So we, we can hear you that way. But is there anybody this morning? Hello, I'm Emily. Um, I am hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be having surgery on uh, March 24th to um, replace the battery pack in my neurostimulator device that I have implanted in my spine. And I have been waiting on this since the beginning of COVID to happen and it keeps getting pushed back because it's elective. So um, hopefully, we finally have a date in the OR because I've been waiting for this for a very, very long time. Yeah. Loving God, we lift up Emily and all just the pain and just trauma that goes into um, just chronic back pain and, and just the anxiety that also goes into a surgery like this. We pray for um, just relief, health, and well-being as a result of a positive surgery. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. I also just want to keep my friend uh, Aretta in our prayers. She uh, is an American citizen. I grew up with her. Um, her mom and my mom are really good friends, um, but she is Ukrainian and she's been living in the city of Lviv um, for the past 10 years or so. And she did end up evacuating to Poland and is in Krakow right now. Um, it took like 24 hours plus to evacuate and get over the border. And, um, but she does have her, her boyfriend who is Ukrainian uh, named Roman who stayed behind. And um, I think by choice, but also was not allowed to leave. Um, so just keep her specifically in our prayers when we are praying for Ukraine. Yeah, and let's remember, um, I think Abe, you had people in your family and circle of friends as well that are over there. Let's pray for all those known and unknown, including Aretta and Abe's family and friends. We lift up those who are over in Ukraine and suffering 
uh, all manner of just evil right now as a result of this war. We pray for their safety and well-being. We pray that they might find the shelter, the relief, and the help that they need. Be with us in the hour of our need, O Lord, and those in our life, known and unknown. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else this morning? All right. Well, our text today, the text that I chose, is one that I have not spoken on in my, I don't know, 12 years of being the pastor of this church, which is rare at this point. It's hard for me to find a text I haven't spoken on, but this one is, uh, I'm sure, not one I've done before, uh, because frankly, at first blush, it's kind of a boring passage. <laughs> it's the genealogy, Jesus' genealogy from the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel doesn't open with the birth narrative like Luke does, but opens with this genealogy. Uh, and I'll give you just a little taste of it here. I'll read this, just the first few sentences. I won't read the whole thing because again, it's a bit much. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by way of Tamar. All right, that's all I'm going to read from it. Again, it's, it goes on uh, from there and lists about 50 names, starting with Abraham and ending with Jesus. And to be clear, you know, obviously it's a historical, this is legendary, uh, but that's okay because it's really here for spiritual and symbolic purposes. Anyway, it's here to establish Jesus's identity as the culmination of Israel's history, as the um, true son of the patriarchs, we would say, uh, and therefore the rightful heir of the promises that, you know, God made Israel and and you know, Jesus's ancestors. It's here to convince the original Jewish audience of Matthew's gospel that, hey, this Jesus guy is someone important, someone to revere, someone to pay attention to. And yet his genealogy is disrupted by five women, the, in, the so-called intrusion of five women. And I say disrupted and, and intrusion simply because that's the way these five women their the presence in this genealogy would have been interpreted by the original Jewish audience because, of course, patriarchy ruled the day. And yet Jesus's genealogy includes these very interesting five women, and they are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and, of course, Mary. And I want to discuss today or focus today on these so-called five mothers of, of Jesus. Um, today is not just the first Sunday of Lent, but actually it's also the first Sunday of March, which makes it the first Sunday of Women's History Month. This is Women's History Month. And so I want to focus on these five women today and why they're so important as to be mentioned here. Let's begin with Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah, of course, was one of the 12 patriarchs uh, of Israel, and perhaps the most important patriarch. And Tamar was married to one of Judah's son, but he died. And as was the custom back then, Judah had her married off to one of his other sons so that she might be taken care of and have you know, children by way of him. But his, and his name was Onan, but he died as well. 
And so here is Tamar, childless and husbandless yet again. And Judah has one other son left that he could betroth her to, but he's reluctant because he's now starting to think that Tamar may be cursed. He's lost two sons already after having them marry her. And so Judah's thinking, I don't know if I want to lose my last son. So he kind of sidelines her and tells her, yeah, I'll, I'll find you a husband, but doesn't. And so here is Tamar, both childless and husbandless, not a good situation for a woman in the ancient Near East, but Tamar is sharp. She's kind of clever. And so she devises this plan. She finds out that Judah is traveling on business somewhere, and she knows that, well, Judah has a proclivity for sex workers, for prostitutes when he travels. And so she decides, I am going to go ahead of him to this town that I know he's going to visit called Timnath. And there I will disguise myself as a prostitute, sorry, sex worker, and I will present myself to him and hopefully he'll hire me. Well, that's what happens. She's successful. And three months later, uh, she becomes noticeably pregnant and Judah is livid. Now he has, he's none the wiser at this point. He just knows that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who is not currently married to any of his children, but nevertheless, she's kind of under his authority. He notices that she's pregnant and an unmarried pregnant woman in that culture was, you know, that was a grave sin. So he sentenced her to death. He, he tells her, you're going to be burned alive, actually. That was the sentence. But she's able to produce evidence, proof that, in fact, it was Judah who impregnated her. She's got some of his personal property that he used to pay her when he thought she was just this random sex worker in Timnath. And, of course, Judah, in his now shame and shock, decides not to burn her alive. And she goes on to have twin boys. One of them was Perez, the ancestor of King David and also the ancestor of Jesus. And you thought your family had problems. <laughs> this is not the only sex worker or case of incest in Jesus's lineage. According to the book of Joshua, Rahab, who's also mentioned here in Matthew's genealogy, she was a, a Canaanite sex worker living in, in Jericho. Jericho was the city in Canaan, right? Part of the promised land that God had ordered the Israelites to go and conquer uh, as part of the Exodus narrative, right? At least that's what the Israelites believe God called them to do. And so before they are to sack the city of Jericho, they send two spies in to gather intel before they lay siege to the city. And these two spies are hidden. They're taken in by Rahab into her brothel slash hotel, and she hides them there, believing they are sent there by God, that their mission is of the Lord. Again, she's a Canaanite. She's not a Jew, but she believes these guys and decides to put her own life at risk by hiding them in her house, helping them escape arrest by the Jericho authorities, and then helps them escape with their intel back to the you know, camp of the Israelites. And then when Israel lays siege of the city and is successful in conquering it, she and her household are spared. And she and her household thereafter are welcomed into the community of the Israelites. And she becomes the mother of, let me get the name right, uh, Boaz. She becomes the mother of Boaz, another one of Jesus's ancestors. And Boaz goes on to marry Ruth, 
who, like Rahab before her, was not an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. And uh, Moab was a cursed nation in the eyes of the Lord because of their incestuous beginnings. As the story goes, after the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, remember Lot? He, he escapes the burning city of Sodom and Gomorrah with his family. Uh, his wife is turned to a pillar of salt because she looks back. But Lot escapes into the hill country with his, with his daughters, and they live in some caves. And as the story goes, his daughters, now childless and husbandless, fear that they're going to be childless and husbandless for the rest of their lives. And so they get their father, Lot, blind drunk one night, you know, as you do, <laughs> and they have relations with him and they get pregnant as a result. And the, and the nation of Moab, we're told, is the result of this incestuous sinful union. And so this is, of course, mythology, but this is what the Hebrews believed. And this is why we find prohibitions in the Old Testament for Israel not to have anything to do with the nation of Moab or to not intermarry with the Moabites. And yet here comes Ruth. She marries Boaz. She's welcomed into the Hebrew community by way of Naomi. And there's a great story there in the book of Ruth. But she marries Boaz, and they have Obed together, another one of Jesus's ancestors. And then there's Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of King David's elite soldiers, we're told. David, of course, sees Bathsheba one afternoon from his palace window. He looks down and sees her bathing in her courtyard, and he's so overcome with her beauty that he decides that she's got to be mine, and the only way to make that happen is to get rid of Uriah. So David devises this evil plan to have Uriah sent to the front lines at the next battle and then have you know, the surrounding soldiers pull back and expose him to, you know, certain death. And of course, Uriah dies in battle, leaving Bathsheba available for David. And he takes advantage of that. And Solomon, King Solomon is the, resu is the result of that sinful union. And God, we're told, was extremely angry with David about this. And yet, this too is part of Jesus's family story. And then finally, of course, there's Mary an unmarried pregnant teenager. What do what are these stories all have in common? Well, these five women are, are here in Matthew's genealogy as a way of disrupting any notion of Israel's purity. These women are foreigners. They're idolaters. They're sex workers. They're, they're, they're women of, of questionable purity. They represent, in that first century Jewish mindset, Israel's failure to be racially, religiously, and sexually pure. And yet, all these women are, not despite this, but because of this, heroic figures and righteous. They all, in different ways, ensure the continuation of Israel and its identity as the people of God. Now, some would interpret their presence in Matthew's genealogy as a message that God can work through anybody, <laughs> right? Even the, the worst of us, God is that powerful that, you know, and so wonderful that even the worst sinners among us, the, the worshipers of foreign deities, the adulterers, the sex workers, right? 
Even, even they can be used for the glory of God. But that reading bothers me a bit because it demeans these five women. Such a reading actually depends upon demeaning them for the sake of making God, you know, gracious and good. They must be seen as trashy and dirty so that God may be seen as wonderful, gracious, and good. In fact, the more dirty they, they see, they um, appear, the better God looks. So I don't like that reading very much, to be clear. Instead, I interpret their presence here in Matthew as a message that God actually identifies more with the foreigners, the sex workers, and the so-called unholy and impure ones rather than the so-called holy, righteous, and pure ones. Jesus not only comes from, a, from such a family, but was himself a friend of such people. We're told by you know, the Gospels that the Pharisees, the religious authorities, condemned him for being what? A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? He was condemned and looked down upon for befriending the, the so-called outcasts and the misfits. He surrounded himself with such people because the fact is he preferred them. He preferred them over the so-called pious and righteous ones. He preferred the poor over the wealthy. He preferred the irreverent over the pious. He preferred Samaritans and foreigners over his own countrymen, etc. Jesus didn't pretend to prefer them to seem you know, gracious and good or to prove how gracious and good he was. Rather, he preferred them because he was one of them, as his genealogy shows us. Therefore, you know, the meaning is if we don't like such people, then we don't like Jesus. If we don't identify with such people, we do not identify with Christ because Christ was one of them. So that's one way I interpret the presence of these five women in Matthew's genealogy, these five mothers of God. The other way is how they represent religion's inability to define God or control God. These women deconstruct, we would say today. They, they deconstruct any notion that God has to play by certain rules or that God is somehow contained or revealed solely within a particular religion or spiritual tradition or culture. Again, two of the five women were not even Israelites. And then Rahab and Ruth were Canaanite and Moabite. In this way, the God revealed in Jesus defied, absolutely defied the religious imagination of his day. He broke all their rules and, and their theological presuppositions and notions of purity. Such a God should be understood as utterly incomprehensible to the religious mind. Such a God should be understood as utterly incomprehensible to the religious mind, not just the Jewish mind, really, but any religious mind, anyone who tries to domesticate, define, or contain God in a particular religion. The God revealed in Jesus's dicey genealogy shows us that we must let go of any theological certainty 
We must give up the quest for orthodoxy, for purity, this idea of the one right religion. Because there is no such thing. There are only the messy and imperfect human ways that we engage in faith and spirituality. That's all we have, really. The messy and imperfect ways that we talk about God and think about God and engage in this thing called faith and spirituality. There is no such thing as spiritual purity. Therefore, we must embrace uncertainty, unknowing, imperfection, and complexity, and see this as a kind of faith. Faith is a kind of courage to embrace difficult truths, make peace with such things, and believe that this life and world is divine. Not despite these things, but because of them. Not despite the innate uncertainties, complexities, and imperfections to this life, but because of them. To do so is to recognize that we too are of the line of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. This isn't just Jesus's lineage, but our own. These aren't just Jesus's mothers, but our own too. Let's meditate on that now as we receive the Lord's Supper which of course is a way of saying that we are a part of Jesus's lineage. We are a part of Jesus's family. We identify with him and we are proud of that. We are not ashamed of him or his gospel. That's part of what this, this holy sacrament means. And so in order to partake this morning, I want to encourage you to, you can stand up and you can come over here and grab a cup and one of these gluten-free crackers <laughs> And you can take that back to your seat as Max plays music. And then uh, you can receive that at your, in your own time uh, as you meditate on these themes today. So come on down and uh, receive the Lord's Supper. And ice cream castles in the air and Feather canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that So many things I would have done, the clouds got in my way. But I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow, cloud illusions I recall. I don't know clouds at all. 
Thanks, Max. So every week we have a little discussion if anybody wants to discuss um, the talk today, um, any questions or comments about that. And so uh, does anybody here have any questions or comments about um, this story, these five women, or how uh, maybe it speaks to you, perhaps? Um, and of course, if you are watching via Zoom, uh, my hope is that you can interact as well. But yeah. Just want to open it up now if, if anybody has something they want to bring up. Yeah, sure, Angie, let me just get you this mic so that people can hear you online too. All right, that works. 
This isn't constructive at all, but I'm really suspicious about how Judah didn't recognize that he was gonna <laughs> hook up with his daughter-in-law. Like what? Yeah. Do, I mean, is that just like a common practice back then that they wore blindfolds? Like yeah. what is that? Well, um, Bob, you don't have to put this up, but if you saw like my sermon slide with the uh, the old paint, it was a, I think that's a medieval painting and Tamar had like a blindfold on, which obviously was not very convincing. I mean, I can definitely recognize people now with, with masks on. I can like look at them in the eye and notice them. So I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I, obviously, obviously that's, you know, the story is a historical. I mean, yeah, exactly. But it's meant to even, I think, within the Hebrew tradition, you know, in a way demonstrate Tamar, uh, Tamar's cleverness and, you know, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, resiliency of, of, you know, this woman, despite the fact that she's, all these horrible and unjust things have happened to her, she is able to, you know, find the courage and the wherewithal, the, the innovation, I guess, or the, to basically find a home still in Judah's tribe. And in a sense, God rewards that. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story from that regard, because, you know, even I think from the Hebrew tradition, you know, Jewish folks have read that story with, you know, raised eyebrows. I mean, like, this is, <laughs> this is a very troubling story. And yet, somehow, it's seen, she's, she's, she's heroic, and she's rewarded. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point, Angie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And of course, as Christians, that's now part of our story, because that's Jesus's story. Yeah, a really good question. Um, somebody else today? I'm looking on the screen because I'm looking for little hands that go up. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fascinating story. All right. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. <laughs> on our first Sunday back here at our wonderful building. And thank you to all of you who um, joined us from Zoom land. And uh, we'll do it again starting next week. Yeah. So go in peace, friends. If you want to hang out and chat, let's do so.